Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. And welcome to the latest edition of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. Now, I'm slightly apprehensive about today's podcast because we're turning the tables on me today. So I've asked all previous guests on the podcast to record some questions and fire them across to me. But I've also invited my colleague, uh, Sarah Winkless, to host today so she can hold me accountable for some duff answers. So um, good afternoon, Sarah. How are you doing? Good afternoon, Phil. I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. What a wonderful opportunity you've afforded. <laughs> I'm feeling very nervous. Um, but, but for those that um, don't know you, do you want to? So we've been working together for three years, but do you want to give a little bit of background as to who you are and how we've got to know one another and work together? Yeah, thank you. And uh, I guess leadership is the common theme, isn't it? I was fascinated um, by what makes a leader. And um, I came through that because I, I was an elite athlete and I saw and some amazing leadership examples in my colleagues. Um, I hope I was able to show that myself. I did 21 years of international sport. First of all, I was a disco thrower and a netball player during my teenage years. And then I realised I was basically training the wrong part of my system and I was an endurance athlete not a sprint athlete as I learned to row and I went to three Olympic Games seven world championships as a rower. So it's been great to have you part of the Clarity team over the last three years and I know many of our clients have benefited from it and so all I can ask is can you be nice to me during uh, during this recording please? Of course I'll do my best. Right so let, let's let's start with the first question. Phil, it's Nigel Owens here. What is it about you that shapes you? Uh, Sarah, you and I were both part of the evening that we had with Nigel Owens. He was uh, he was a fantastic guest, wasn't he? He was just it's one of the best evenings we've had. Um, really revealing, and uh, and I and I think I know where this question comes from. Uh, I don't want to be too presumptuous, but I know when he was talking, he talked about the environment in which he grew up. Uh, the village in Wales, his parents, uh, and he talked very eloquently and passionately about the fact that that's shaped him. I guess you, you should never disagree with a rugby referee. Uh, and I, and there's part of me that, that wants to hear, which is certainly, I think my parents shaped me massively. And I'll talk a little bit about them more so, but I, I'm not sure necessarily the community in which I grew up in did. Uh, so I grew up in a town in Hampshire and it was fine, but I'm not sure that I would particularly say that that shaped me, but absolutely my parents did and still do. So they're both still alive and kicking and doing well. Mum and dad, I hope you're listening to this. It would be amiss not then to mention uh, Lorraine, my wife. So we've been together, you know, since we were 18 uh, and here I am at, at 52, and it, it would be wrong to say that she's not had a massive, massive impact on my life. Uh, uh, and anyone that knows and has met Lorraine, as you have, Sarah, that we'll all know that's for the positive for me. And also the other big factor was becoming a dad, having three children. It really changed my mindset about what was important to me and the fact that I needed to be an outstanding role model for, for them. So I guess those three th- things, and there's a fourth. So, you know, my mum and dad is one, uh, Lorraine, and being a parent of three wonderful children. But And the fourth one is, and I, I've referred to this as my Jerry Maguire moment, when I remember vividly waking up in the middle of the night in a hotel in Seattle and just scribbling what was then to become my purpose statement. 
And so I'm not sure exactly how old I was at the time. Most probably 31, 32. But what I wrote then still stands with me today about how I want to live my life. So I know it sounds a bit twee, but that after having that, it just seemed to bring that clarity of focus and you go, right, I know now who I want to be and how I want to live my life. And and so that has been uh, a massive impact. So I think to answer Nigel's question, it would be my parents, my wife, my children, and then finally my purpose. And Phil, can you share with me what that purpose is? Because I've heard you tell this story before, but it feels um, that it's important that listeners can hear it too. Yeah, no, I'd be delighted to, which is that I want to inspire people, particularly my friends and family, uh, through my enjoyment of life and worldwide experiences. So that's it. It's, you know, it's not, it's very broad, but it, it, it ultimately, at the time I was at Microsoft uh, and I was thinking, right, am I inspiring people? I, well, I'm, I'm not sure that I was, uh, you know, particularly my friends and family. And so, you know, no, not necessarily. Uh, and through my enjoyment for life and worldwide experiences. So I want to, you know, I want to experience as much as the world as possible. And I, and I want to do it with a smile on my face. And that's how I try and live my life today. And maybe I should challenge you because you said it feels a bit twee, but there's nothing twee about that for me. Well, look, thank you. I guess I'm always slightly nervous that it feels a bit, you know, motherhood, motherhood and apple pie. And, you know, but but actually, that's exactly how I want to live my life. I'll let you off that one. <laughs> Shall we move on to question number two? Hi, Phil. Scott Petty here, CIO at Vodafone. At the beginning of the COVID pandemic, your business basically ground to a halt. Yeah, I remember every early morning bike ride You'd be coming out with new ideas, products to try and be asking my opinion. You were always upbeat. I don't ever remember you moaning or complaining. Where did that positive attitude and innovation come from? It never felt to me like a fear of failure, but a real excitement to overcome a difficult challenge. Yeah, so look, so many people know, and Scott and I don't hide it. We're good friends. We go on a cycling holiday uh, and a skiing holiday most years together. He lives uh, less than a mile away from me, and, and we are out on the bikes regularly at 6 a.m., during the week, which is what he's referring to here is those early morning bike rides. There's part of me thinking Scott's looking through that with rose-coloured glasses because I'm not sure that I was always upbeat. I was I was chastising the COVID situation because our business, you know, and Sarah, you and I both experienced this, our business fell apart for an order book which was full in March became empty. An order book that was full in April became empty uh, and, and all ongoing orders were erased. So we were faced with having a business that had been successful and, and going, right, what do we do now? And I couldn't even spell Zoom, let alone use it. So I think during those times, part of it was just actually listening to a leader, i.e. Scott, and understanding what he needed, because the world had changed massively. And I needed to understand what leaders' needs were, what their team's needs were, and so that was most probably, I was most probably using Scott as market research, uh, though little <laughs> did he know it, you know, and clearly that was just Scott's uh, view of the world, but it was really just trying to understand what was required. And also there was another inflection point, which was, I think I decided to look at it. There's all the cliches of when one door closes and another op- opens, but I started to look at it as a challenge and go, right, how we come out of this could be a real lasting legacy of clarity and so decided to look upon it as a challenge rather than being uh, a victim I, I have to say in the first couple of weeks I was a bit a victim to the circumstances not in in terms of that I suffered from COVID thankfully but a, a victim to the circumstances that from a business perspective 
and Phil, I remember our conversations from that time. And I love the fact that you've used Scott to what a good friend would do as a market research. But <laughs> the, I felt the challenge was with pace because you did have ideas. You did have ideas of where we could innovate. But it was when, when it will be right for different businesses. And we're all sitting there thinking this is going to be over in two or three weeks. The garden's weeded. You know, <laughs> let, let's see what's happening. If you take us back for that time, how did you manage that, that pace piece? So I, I guess firstly, I didn't want to do anything too quickly because clients didn't really need any help immediately. They were they were in crisis mode. And it was just actually letting everyone understand where they're sort of almost went into the, it sort of settled down a bit and understanding, right, let's think about when they're going to need us. I, I think if we'd have gone to market in those first few weeks with new products and offerings, that wouldn't have landed well. It was go at speed, but don't go too quickly because there was a lot of stuff that was thrown out in the market, I felt, in those first few weeks. I'm thinking that people aren't, customers aren't on receive mode yet. And it was waiting until customers would be on receive mode. I thought that was really important. And I guess as an additional benefit for us as a team, we came together and started to learn those skills, the Zoom skills, the workshop <laughs> yeah, yeah. skills. We gave each yeah. other feedback. I think my yeah. first workshop was for Scott Petty and uh, he, he also gave me some good feedback which I've taken with me today um, so hopefully now I'm looking at the camera although it's not even on and, and you can hear me well in the workshop yeah, um, yeah. and we have another question from Scott. Phil how do you compartmentalize your home relationship and work relationships your office is in your house your wife works in the business many of your friends are clients but you seem to balance these well. Actually, maybe I should be asking Lorraine this question. So his question is about how do I compartmentalize my home and work relationships? I guess I don't really. I look at it as you've got one life. There's lots of things to fill it with. Um, some of that will be uh, home stuff. Some of that will be work stuff. That Some of that will be other stuff. And just they merge. I guess the one thing is that when I see clients socially, because some of them are friends, and they've been friends first and then clients second, you, you'd never discuss work in a social environment. And then vice versa, in a work environment, I wouldn't discuss or try and, you know, anything social or, or try and be too pally or over familiar with them in a work environment. Thank you. And I think we have a question from Hugh next. Evening, Phil. This is Hugh Osmond. Just a couple of uh, tricky questions, I hope. The first <laughs> is that you named your business Clarity and Clarity is fundamental to the leadership qualities that you teach. But as we all know, in the real world, very few things are clear. Many things are nuanced. And in many issues, there simply isn't a clear answer. So no clarity. How do you advise um, leaders to communicate with their teams when the facts are actually completely uncertain, issues are controversial and undecided, and all the analysis suggests that there is no clear right or wrong answer blimey that, that, that that's a toughie oh thank you Hugh he'll be smiling I'm sure as he's asking that question so I, I would challenge him back and and maybe you'll need to do this with me back again Sarah which is I, I do think there is clarity on two things firstly I think there's clarity on where you are today so that should be clear and the facts established and then also I think you should have clarity on where you want to go so your destination, the route, if you like, and, and the way in which you get there will be uncertain. I, I don't think that's ever something that can be fixed. And so I guess in that piece, what I would advise 
leaders and teams would be, let's let's be clear on where we are, number one. Number two, let's be clear on where we want to get to, the destination. The route in which we're going to do that, let's decide that as a team. We don't know what's right or wrong. Absolutely agree with you on that one. But then at least let's make a decision and go forwards. Let's not procrastinate. Analysis paralysis is something that drives me nuts. So I think it's about making a decision and getting on with it. It may be the wrong decision. So you learn from that and then you go again. And he's got a second question for us. You frequently use humour in your uh, courses and in your leadership approach, often equating to banter. But in recent times, banter has become quite problematic, uh, particularly in, in this era of political correctness and wokeness. And it's easy for banter and humour to become confused with offensive material. How do you advise leaders to navigate this? Blimey, that's, a, that's another toughie. Um, so Hugh's right in terms of I like to enjoy sort of a playful style to my facilitation. I think partly because that's that's I enjoy my work when I'm doing that. And also I think when I do that, it enables me to build a relationship. Hopefully that means that you can challenge harder uh, when appropriate. I think the challenge with banter is it sometimes it, it takes that that playfulness over the edge and, and I, I'm not sure that I would necessarily advise leaders on any of this if they ask for feedback I think the, the most important thing is be respectful what could be fun to you could be offensive to someone else so I think it's understand your audience and understand what would be respectful and, and what wouldn't be what are your thoughts sir I'm hearing that know your audience. I think it's so important that you notice um, who you're working with. And I often hear banter uh, working in small teams, but then they come into open plan offices and that sound travels at 330 metres per second until it hits anyone's ears who's in that uh, in that space. So it's being really aware of, of your wider shadow on this, I think. Let's move on to Nicole. Let's see what she has to ask you. Nicole Farmer. Morning, Phil. It's Nicole Farmer here, General Manager of Sanofi UK and Ireland Specialty Care Business. And I have two questions to ask you. Uh, my first question is, you always look so upbeat and bouncy. So my question is, is that genuine or is it sometimes a real effort to cover the times when you're feeling a bit shit? <laughs> my second question is, if you were to do voluntary work, uh, what would you choose and why? And then my follow up to that would be, so when are you going to actually start? Because whoever uh, you choose, I'm sure would really benefit from your contribution. So Phil, for you, another one on this um, about your energy, first and foremost, how do you cover up those times where you feel not so good? And um, voluntary work, where, where will you start to um, spread your talents? So I am pretty upbeat, and, and that's genuine. In all fairness, I don't often feel shit. I haven't got a lot to feel crap about. That's an important part about how you how you choose your attitude. I think you can do that, and that's how I want to live my life. And so I guess that feeling of upbeat and bouncy is is genuine. On the voluntary work, I, I guess. Well, firstly, this is the first time in twenty years I've not been involved in a in a community event that I started 20 years ago called the Hairy Legs Challenge, which was a sports event for our for our community, which 
uh, raised money for put up well, firstly put on a great sports event um but also raised money for for the local schools for for sports work and you know when i do some charity work so even last week i was running a strategy day with Sutton Community Works that provide food banks and other services to the Sutton and Croydon area. And I've done the same with some hospices in the past as well. But but Nicole makes a good point, which there's there's more I could do um, for, for charity. It's there in the back of my mind. And I think which ones? I think it would have to be sports related uh, and children related, most probably combined in some. It, so if, if there was a way in which I could combine that, I would most probably look to throw some energy into that. Fantastic. And is the hairy legs surviving without you? Will it still be Yes, it is. Yeah, no, so I'm really pleased. So it will be going on again this year. uh, And, um, you know, and I'm delighted. So, you know, Clarity is now one of the sponsors and and the co-founder, my mate John, uh, his company, Humidity Solutions also sponsor it. So, although we're no longer involved in the the organising of it, we can we can support it by sponsoring it. And John and I are running in a team together this year, which should be amusing. Brilliant. Lee Newman's next. Hey Phil, it's Lee Newman, CEO of VPS Group. It's a pleasure to put you in the hot seat for a change. I had a couple of questions for you, Phil. The first one was this: How do you ensure that the Clarity team live up? to the values contained within Unstoppable Teams, not just you personally modelling the way, but the entire organisation. That must be quite a challenge. So what are the steps you take to make sure that's true? My second question was around going below the line. We all do it at times, and I wondered what your primary example was of a time in your past, professional or personal, where you've gone below the line and you wish that you hadn't. And if you hadn't, what would be different today by staying above the line? Well, these are great questions, aren't they? So let's start with the leadership challenge. How do you ensure that the wider team do model the way? I, I'm, well, I'd like some easier questions. Um, <laughs> so, so I guess how do we model the way around unstoppable teams? I, I think, firstly, uh, I, I'd love to think that our our purpose as a team is really clear, uh, and everyone in the team unites behind that, which is that you know we develop leaders and teams to drive business performance for a better world. So in, in, as that as a clear purpose, I, I you know, it, it, when I think about aligning behind something, I, I think everyone as part of our team, uh, I would like to think is, is fully bought into that. We don't have a lot of churn in the team, if any, you know, and so the other beauty is when, when people join the team, uh, unlike many corporate teams that, that will often more regularly change we 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 don't have that so that's a real advantage to us and Sarah as you know I will look to try and get the team together regularly both virtually and physically depending on client needs and and other demands that's we we don't always get a full house but I do think we've got a a good base of trust in the team that means that we can build on that is that the perfect answer no you know are we the perfect team no and it's work in progress. So, you know, it's not something that I go, job done, tick, let's move on. I think it's it's always there in the back of my mind to ensure that that we do lead by example and model um, uh, unstoppable teams in that respect. So on to the second question. So this is where you take off the rose glasses. Because <laughs> Lee's actually saying if you could change one event in your past, so what would it be when you were perhaps below the lines and not accountable for your, your actions? Um, and the hindsight, you would have ch- maybe chosen to do something different. You know, look, as Lee says, we'll go below the line. There was one particular example that I remember. It was a, a it was a reorg when I was at Microsoft. I'd had a pretty good career 
at the time and, and a reorg happened and I didn't come out of it brilliantly and, and I felt a victim to that. And I remember being in, in some sessions where, frankly, you know, in hindsight, I'm not, not proud of my behaviour. I was definitely below the line in terms of what I was saying and feeling. And ultimately, I, I guess it was most probably two years after that that I, I then chose to leave the organisation, which I still love. You know, I still love anyone that knows me will know that I still have a huge admiration and loyalty towards Microsoft. Keep on learning. That's one of the things you wanted. Our next question is from Amy Silverman. Hi, Phil. It's Amy Silverman from Microsoft and happy to share a couple of questions that I would love to hear uh, you answer in your rapid fire. So the first, over the last two years, our world has changed dramatically and no one three years ago could have predicted what the world would be going through. For leaders and leadership, what matters most from your opinion, in an unsettling, chaotic world environment, would you say? And what will last the test of time based on what you're seeing? My second question for you is, during your three years of doing podcasts, what seems to resonate with your audience that has surprised you the most? Thanks so much, Phil. So brilliant that we're going back to Microsoft here, Phil, after your question. <laughs> <laughs> I've got your last answer. So over the last two years in this crazy time that we've had and we continue to have what's been the most important thing for leaders and leadership yeah and this has come up a lot on the round tables that i've hosted in terms of you know how do we how do we motivate our, our teams and i think uh, i guess i'm going to steal some work from daniel pink here and i think this is about leaders need to continue to have purpose and and set a clear purpose for their teams in addition provide the autonomy and give their teams the freedom to act. And then lastly, the mastery, um, which is, you know, help them develop to be world-class in it. So I think in terms of what I think leaders and, and what leadership matters most, I, I would put it down to purpose, autonomy, and mastery. Those, those three things. Brilliant. And then the second question was well, during the last three years of the podcast, what seems to resonate with your audience? This came up at a, dinner party that I was at a couple of months ago, which I think the thing that resonates most is, is that all guests at some point have imposter syndrome. Uh, and, you know, and you kind of go, right, how on, how on earth did I get into this position? And, you know, I'm interviewing senior people on those podcasts, but I think that's the thing where you, when you're talking to what resonates most with the audience, the, the, the audience will go, wow, so those senior people have had imposter syndrome Two, I'm going, yeah, and they've still got it. You know, every I, I just believe I've got a belief which is everyone's got it. It's just it's just learning how to manage that. Whether that's man you know, or in another language, maybe it's managing your chimp from the chimp paradox. But it's it's about how do you manage that imposter syndrome? I think is a really important part. And I think knowing that all leaders, everyone's got it in some form or another. I, I think has been the thing that's resonated most with people on the podcast. I find in my coaching, I have. The privilege is you do to have confidential conversations with all sorts of people and the imposter shows up. I often wonder if it's I'm transference from me because I, I know my imposter well. Um, but yeah, very interesting in that one. I'm hoping the questions are going to get easier. Well, I did notice also Amy was hoping quickfire. So let's keep the pace on here. And I think Andy's going to help us with this one, especially for the first question. Phil, it's Andy Goldney from Baxter Healthcare. Quick uh, one-line question for you. Are you competitive? <laughs> uh, if I was to ask Lorraine what your best quality is, 
and what your worst quality is, what do you think she'd say? <laughs> you have a great business built on many clients, um, but it's also built on many friendships, probably more than any other business that I've seen before. Has that ever caused you any difficulties? It, <laughs> Andy's, Andy's making me laugh here because we had this conversation the other day. And this is where I might have poor lack of self-awareness. I, I don't think I'm as competitive as people would expect me to be. And what I mean by that is because I enjoy sports, I, I think people would naturally think I'm super competitive. I don't think I am, but I, I know a number of people would disagree with that or be surprised with that. I guess my to support my argument, I, I guess if I think about the sports that I do, I, you know, I never time myself. I'm not on Strava. I don't, you know, do these classes where you're competing with other because I'm not interested. When I go for a run, I don't want to run with a watch because I just want to enjoy the run. I don't want to know what time I've done. So I don't use a watch or any timing device for any any sport that I do. I, I guess the, the caveat to that is if I'm doing something, I don't want to come last. <laughs> uh, his, his second question, he, he, he really is uh, trying to get close to the bone here, isn't he? What would Lorraine say about my best quality and worst quality is? I would have thought she would say my best quality is my positivity and my worst quality is selfishness when I'm not interested in something. So um, uh, I'm sure like many people, I uh, I would be selfish uh, um, uh, and ambivalent towards things that might matter to other people, but don't matter to me. So not necessarily proud of that one, but I would say definitely that's my worst, well, worst of many bad things. But uh, that's what I would say on that one. And the third question was around relationships with friends at work. Has, has this caused any difficulty? Not to my knowledge, that I'm aware of, you know, again, I, we discussed this briefly earlier on with the question with Scott, which is, you know, works, work, social, social. And, and I make sure that I just, I keep that button on and off as appropriate. Switching into each one of those, going back to someone again, that you socialize with and you work with Gary AD from Vodafone. He's got a couple of questions. It's Gary AD here from Vodafone. I hope you're well. I've got two questions for you. Firstly, uh, what's your favourite leadership quote and why? And my second question is, if you had a warning label, and I think you should have a warning label personally, uh, what would it say and why? Thanks, Phil. Uh, right. So what's my favourite leadership quote and why? So I think well, so this has to come from Viktor Frankl and, and anyone that's done a workshop with me. And if I've got the opportunity to present above and below the line, I'll reference Viktor Frankl and his book, A Man's Search for Meaning. But his quote along the lines of, and I might not get this completely correct, everything can be taken except the last of humans' freedom, to choose one's attitude and to choose one's own way. And that's really important to me. So, I, I, so in essence, you know, if I think about Viktor Frankl's story, Anything can be taken from you except that that choice of how you want to choose your attitude and, and choose your own path. I've actually got another another quote that slightly different would be, and I'm not sure who said this, but it's fill your life with experiences, not things. Have stories to tell and not stuff to show. And I guess that's, I'm not particularly materialistic. Again, I don't think, you know, things like watches and cars don't particularly interest me, but I'm, I'm much more excited by having experiences rather than than things. So they would be the two quotes. And um, filling your life with experience, not things, might take us on to the second question. If you did have a warning label, what would you say, Phil? Oh, <laughs> well, I, I, uh, I'm, I am a bit of a buffoon. I'm not sure that's a warning label, but I am an idiot. I just, I, I know I'm a grown man, but I, I'm hopeless at most 
things. I, if so, from I think you were on a call once when we were doing a, a, a sort of clarity cafe, and I had to stop and, and go and let a man in who's changing some bulbs in the house. I am, you know, from a DIY perspective, I am completely dyslexic. I can't do anything. Much to Lorraine's disappointment. If anything needs fixing in the house, she needs to do it. I can't because I will just do it wrong. Practical IQ, you weren't there when they were handing out those ones. I just, I am genuinely really, really hopeless. I just, and, and, and I'm regularly given that feedback by my wife and my children. Talking of your children, I think we've got Grace next. Hello, Phil, or should I say dad? It is your daughter, Grace. My first question would have to be, what has been your biggest leadership challenge outside of the office, whether that's been on one of your many activities that you like to talk about, or perhaps even within your family and your children? I'd be curious to know. And my second question would be, what piece of advice do you wish someone had given you, which you would pass on to someone early on in their career? Thanks. <laughs> it's nice to hear her voice. Uh, what's been my biggest leadership challenge outside of work? Or so certainly it's not family related. So they've they've been marvelous to 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 bring up now that they've all left home <laughs> or nearly. I think the one I found I got really frustrated. Really, we had a challenge around hairy legs. So hairy legs, the 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 sports event that I do locally or used to. It was a big part of my life, and we had a complaint uh, about the event, which was raised to Oxfordshire District Council, which was about cycling along uh, a bridal path. And so I went to the council, and, and so we were insured by the British Triathlon Association for this event. We've got risk assessments that were, you know, agreed by the police, and and so went to Oxfordshire District Council, and um, you know they. They sort of said, look, we've got this complaint. And I said, well, how do we resolve it? And they said, well, look, you know, if, if the insurance company are fine and the police are fine, then it'll be okay. So, you know, I went I went to the insurance company, which was basically the British Triathlon. That's, you know, because we were using them, that's where our insurance was. British Triathlon said, it's, it, you know, they think it's fine as long as the police say it's fine. So I went to the police. The police said, it's you know, it's it's fine. Went back to the Oxford, Oxfordshire District Council and it was still like, no. And it was one of those just, it was the computer says no mentality that I I found really, really frustrating. And I know it wasn't, you know, a big, important priority for them, but this was an event that had been running successfully for 12 plus years. And, and when you had one complaint, it fundamentally changed that event. And I, I, and I'm still, you know, it makes me furious now even to think about it. That doesn't sound like a big challenge, but to me at the time, I just couldn't find a way out of it, and we never did. And Grace had a second question about advice. Would you what advice would you pass on into someone early on in their career? Yeah, and I think most probably what it would, it would be being more ambitious. Um, and I, and I guess what I mean by that is. Um, I most probably was too conservative, I think, uh, in hindsight, in my early career, uh, or, or not as ambitious as I could be. And I and I think, uh, and I was most probably that was based on fear of failure, um, and, and you don't want to get stuff wrong. And and I guess in hindsight, I most probably think, you know, and as I've grown and matured, and you have a go at things, and 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 you know, when you've achieved things, you kind of go, oh, right. So if I can achieve that, what else can I achieve? And and that gives you confidence to go on and do stuff. Uh, and I, I was most probably too cautious um, uh, in my uh, earlier part of my my career. So I would go 
be more ambitious. And if you fail, you'll learn from it and, and, and you'll learn from it and you'll grow as a result. So I would go out there and, um, uh, you know, don't, don't take the safe option. Go for it. Nice that you could hear when you heard her voice that it mattered and going for it. And, and lots of companies are talking about fail fast and fly and having the feeling safe yourselves to fail. Um, it's interesting that we hold, have to hold it into each one of us, isn't it, as an individual? Yeah, you know, but you, you, I, I think you've got to learn how to, to, you've got to be able to handle the failure and, and know that that's a positive and you can learn from that and build on that. I think that's the, that's the big lesson, which I, I guess I was just nervous of that. Great. Well, let's listen to Uday next. Hi, Phil. It's Uday uh, from Boeing Ingelheim. So the question I would like to ask you is that Clarity do a lot of work to identify and support minorities. And you've also been leaders with respect to equality, which is fantastic. But despite all the work that you guys have done at Clarity and many others, it does seem to be a situation where genuine progress um, is really slow. So if you could get all the leaders to take one action to accelerate the impact of diversity and inclusion, what would that be? Wow. Uh, so another another big question and one that is really important to me. So and Sarah, it'd be great to get your thoughts on 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 this. But my my answer to that, if there was got all the leaders to take one action, it, it would be around education. And I think that's and I and I say that because that's had the impact for me. If I think about what the 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 first International Women's Day event that Clarity hosted, I learnt loads. The second one, I learnt loads, and you know, and then the third one, I learnt, I learnt loads, and so on and so forth. And that's on a topic that I'm I feel relatively well educated on. And and, and there's others around, you know, as Uday talked about there, the more minority topics and I don't I don't feel as educated and, and certainly uh, I know I need to continue my education on this path. Sarah your thoughts? I'd add curiosity to your education and frustration be frustrated look for talent in different packages where else can I support people um, going to areas that aren't on your natural network if you like. Yeah I love that so curiosity as well. Definitely. Yeah fab. I'm hoping the questions are going to ease. We must be done soon, but I'm hoping the questions are going to get easier. We're on the downhill, but I'm not sure the questions are any easier. Let's see what Jack has to say. Hi, Phil. This is Jat here, uh, Chief Pharmacist at UCLH. Um, so I've got two questions for you that I'd like you to answer. The first is, describe something that was a low point in your career and how did you pick yourself up? And I really want to hear if anyone helped you at that time or what did you learn about yourself? through that process. The second question I have for you is a quick fire question. So which song makes you stop at what you're doing and reflect or just sing along at the top of your voice? <laughs> I hope that's okay. Many thanks. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. I'm not sure you've met Jack, Sarah, but he is just the loveliest man in the world. He was a chief pharmacist uh, at Royal Marsden. Now you see, as he talked about, and was also at the um, Nightingale um, hospitals when they were set up for COVID. So describe something at a low point in my career. I guess what COVID was, we, you know, we've briefly talked about that, but those first few months were really, really hard. And I guess it was reframing it to turn it into a positive. Look at it as an opportunity. Look at it as a challenge. And, and I kind of think that's sometimes when I can be at my best. And, and how did people pick me up or did anyone? So, yes, lots of different people. Obviously, the team, you know, you, Sarah, and others in, in the team all helped your enthusiasm when I'm coming up with ideas. <laughs> You know, but, but but your enthusiasm that gave those ideas some air time, you know, and, and lift. Because if, if you were poo-pooing them, 
which I know is not your mentality, but it, that would have been hard. And then going, I would cycle with Scott and and, and Hugh regularly and, and get feedback from those guys and just and also just picking their brains. So I think it was the team and, and friends around that really helped me. But no, without doubt, what, the COVID was a really low point and, and was a low point for a while because you'd built... You know, I felt like we'd built a successful business and it, and it felt like that rug was just being taken from us. And actually, it wasn't just the commercials. The big low point for me was all of a sudden, I didn't enjoy my job anymore. That was the big one for me. I love being and anyone. I love being in front of a room and facilitating and I don't like doing it virtually or not as much. And so all of a sudden to have created a business and a career and a job that I loved all of a sudden, I wasn't enjoying my, my job anymore. And that's the first time I'd experienced that in a long, long time. And I hated it. The second question from Jack was, what song makes me stop? Well, I look, if I was going for the call answer, I'd go for my favorite artists, which are David Bowie, Oasis, Arctic Monkeys. But they're not the songs that most probably would make me stop in my tracks. And, and, and so, partly because I, I listen to them a lot. I guess there's, there's most probably two here that I'm going to reference. One that I... I typically only play one time a year, which is around Christmas time. I look at it as a Christmas song. I'm not sure many people do, but it's Frankie Goes to Hollywood, <laughs> The Power of Love. I love it. Uh, and when that comes on, I think I've got the 12-inch vinyl in the house somewhere <laughs> from when I was a kid. I will belt that one out. Uh, it makes me think of my two daughters dancing, uh, that song. And then the um, and then the second one isn't necessarily one that would I'd belt out and 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 this really is confessions because nobody will know this not Lorraine doesn't know this the kids won't know this um, but it's Snow Patrol and it's a song uh, that you could be happy it's the last verse where they uh, sing all I want is to see you grow and take a glorious bite out of the whole world or out of this whole world and and that's how I view my children you know which is all I want is to see them grow and take a glorious bite out of the whole world and so when I'm singing that sometimes it'll bring a tear to my eye because that's that's you know that's the most important thing to me so they will rip the <laughs> out of me mercilessly for that now I'm pressing uh, forward you're not allowed word. to defend yourself anymore on that one that was great it got me going as well great song next one from Ben hi Phil Ben Osborne here the question I'd love to uh, have an answer to is if you could lead any team for a year, who would that be? Oh, look, the obvious answer to this has got to be Man City, my beloved Manchester City, who I've supported since I was six. <laughs> However, what I'd be nervous about here would be I'd screw it up. So, um, and Pep, Pep would do a lot, much better job than me. So I, I'm not going to say them. Well, this is a toughie, actually. I, I, I guess one of the most exhilarating experiences I had was and Harry, my son, was racing, uh, cycle racing, this is, you know, in Europe. Being in one of the cars in the middle of those races was fantastic. Having the, the commentary coming over on the, on, the, on the radio that you're in the car and, and you could hear the, the um, race director talking about what's happening and when there's been a crash. I loved it. Clearly, I didn't like it when Harry was in a crash, but I loved it. And and um, and so I guess the thought of, and I do love the big tours, like the the Tour de France, the the Giro d'Italia and Vuelta de España. So maybe one of the cycling teams, and I guess I'd go with, with most probably the British team, Team Ineos. But, but frankly, any one of those cycling teams, to be part of one of them for a year and be part of those races, um, I, I would just love because it's, it's fantastic. That's most probably where I'm And you've seen it firsthand with Harry, but 
cycling, the limit of human performance that, that's happening right there. And those crashes, they're brutal, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. It's horrible, actually, because you just hear carbon crashing. You see bodies everywhere. Uh, and, you know, and if you think your son's at the bottom, of one, yeah, you yeah, know, but at the same time, you know, the highs and the lows, which is, you know, that's what makes sport, isn't it? But I no, that, w- that would be amazing. And our next guest knows more about the highs and the lows of sport, Catherine Granger. Hi, Phil. It's Catherine Granger here. And what a pleasure to turn the tables and ask you a question. So my question is, now that we're back together, enjoying being sociable again, if you could gather three other leaders, living or dead, around the dinner table to have brilliant conversation, who would you choose and why? Wow. Well, look, Catherine, as as many will know, is, is your great friend, Sarah. So this is, I guess, three three leaders to have around the dinner table. I guess the first one, when when people, when I'm running the leadership model, and sometimes you sort of go, is, is there any leaders that do all of these? And, and I don't think there are, not not necessarily, or not really well. But the, the one that does spring to mind that I, I would have loved to have met was Nelson Mandela. I, I just think what, what a, you know, what I've seen and heard, I just think he would be brilliant to have some of the stories that he would share, you know, I, I think he would be great to have around the dinner table because uh, I also think he's got a cheeky glint in his eye that would that would appeal to me. So that's a that's someone who's no longer with us. Someone who is with us, actually, do you know, and I think she's remarkable, is the Queen. And I'm not particularly pro-royal or anti-royal, but I just think she's a marvellous, marvellous woman. But what she's experienced, and I'm thinking, you know, and all the leaders that she's worked with over the years, I, I just think, and I think her and, uh, and Nelson Mandela would get on. And then the third one, I'm, I'm the one that comes to mind is Nims Perger. And he was the climber that did the 14 peaks that's been on Netflix or Amazon, one of one of those. And firstly, I think he would get on with the two other guests. I think he would have a, watching his relationship with his mother, I think he would have an enormous amount of respect, and rightly so, for the Queen and with Nelson Mandela. So I think he would make a good guest. I also think he would have some great stories to tell. So, and a different kind of leader. And what one of the things that I loved about him was not only in what he achieved, but it was the way in which he did it. I remember him going to K two they'd already done Everest and they were going to K2 which is the most dangerous mountain in the world bar none and they met some other parties at base camp and morale was low really low they might have even lost some climbers I can't remember exact detail but so so what what he decided to do was sort of crack open the whiskey or, or whatever it was and and had a party and I'm just thinking how fantastic you know there you are in an environment which is as hostile as as any environment can be and he's having a party to improve morale. And then they went on and summited um, shortly afterwards. So I, I just think he would, again, he would have a cheeky smile around the tables and some great stories to tell. And I've got ultimate respect for Nims, because when you're trying to carry nothing up those mountains, he thought the whiskey was essential and he was right. <laughs> that's, and that's, well, that's why I think he would be, I think he'd be great fun. I think all of them would have a cheeky smile. That's all, And I think you could have some great, great laughs. Talking of a man with a cheeky smile, our next guest is Justin Adams. Phil Rose, this is uh, Justin Adams, the uh, executive director of the Tropical Forest Alliance, but more importantly, uh, your old friend who you interviewed on your podcast. My two questions for you are, what is it that keeps your motivation so high for you to continue to push yourself to do these extraordinary uh, physical challenges that you push yourself on? Uh, And then secondly, what's your deepest fear? I look forward to hearing your answers, Phil. Hope you're well. Bye for now. 
Ah, all right. So what? What? So, so why do I do these physical challenges? Well, firstly, imagine the size of me. If I didn't, I, I would balloon. I enjoy uh, beer and wine and, and pies. So if I'm not doing something physical, then um, uh, that that counterbalances that. But so that that is a, a real answer. Also, actually, it, it's around it's around growth. So I, I don't see them as much as physical challenges, and although clearly they are. I see them more as mental challenges uh, and which is why often I try to change the landscape in what I'm doing or the territory. So I don't want to do the same thing time and time again. I want to do something different. I want to do something that will really test and challenge me because I know it will give me a sense of fear that, that it it might not be possible. Um, So it's, it's, it's growth and and adventure, uh, you know, which is a core part of how I want to live my life. You know, if I come back to my purpose, I want to inspire people through my enjoyment for life and worldwide experiences, and so doing those challenges is, a, 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 you know, a core part of of me living my purpose. Um, so it's it's about growth. And what have you got on the horizon that's going to help you grow? Well, I've got two this year because one's a hangover from last year. So I'm planning on climbing the Matterhorn, which I'm genuinely really quite scared about because I'm I'm not great with heights. I think I've got a a normal fear of heights. I'm not terrified, but at the same time, I'm, you know, you know, like, like most people, I'm not particularly great at heights. I've got to wrestle with the exposure of being up one of the most iconic mountains in the world. So that's really making me nervous. And the other one, um, which excites me most probably more so, um, make the, the nervous is I'm doing something called the Ottilo series, which is a something that, that started in the archipelago uh, islands in Scandinavia where you run across the islands and swim in between them. Wow. And they now have um, a national race in most of the European countries, and the national race in the UK is in the uh, Scilly Isles. That one I'm most probably more excited by, the Matterhorn, is, um, yeah, there's genuine fear for, for we that. We call one. that type 2 fun, and you'd hope it's not yeah. type 3, which is when you need Yeah, I'm hoping it's not type 3 <laughs> fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Let's link that to fear, because Justin asked, what, what is your deepest fear? I guess assuming that it's it that's related to the sort of the challenges and stuff like that. You know, I guess my deepest fear would be something horrible happening to the children. But if it's to do with sort of an activity or a sport, I, things that I'm just I'm not going to get excited by because I just I think I would be scared. Would be the thought of going deep sea diving off Portsmouth around a wreck or something. Uh, I'd be a horrific. You know, uh, Hugh, um, a previous guest was sort of saying he once was doing that and, and was, I don't know, were deep sea diving around something and, and his belt got caught on something. And you're thinking the visibility down there must have been absolutely zip. And if I got caught on something, because I'm a complete buffoon, as we talked about <laughs> earlier on, I would most probably pa- panic, which is the worst thing you can do. And I'm not jumping at joy of, of putting myself into those environments. So we're going to go Radio 4 now for this next question from David. Hey, Phil, it's David Birmingham. So here are my questions for you. Question number one, if you could take one possession to your desert island, what would it be and why? Question number two, given the nature of your business, will the job ever be done? And question number three, because I can't conform to the norm of two questions, where do you go when in need of leadership coaching? Ah, right. So, yes. And, and I think David was a guest on Radio 4 on uh, is it Jonathan Humphrey's show. Um uh, so if you could take one possession onto a desert island. So 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 
David was Sandhurst trained, so I could most he could most probably you know keep himself alive with a screwdriver or something. I don't know, but he would I'm sure be very um, capable of doing something. I guess take one thing to a desert. I'll take a kayak. Uh, so I could get off. I, I'm not sure. It, well, I just, I, that's a bit of a, a glib answer, but I'm, I would be hopeless on a desert island. He won't like that answer, I know. <laughs> Given the nature of, of our business, well, the, this is an easy one. No, it's not. And in fact, I think one of the things that you learn is, you know, because you've got le- leaders emerging all the time. So, and I think that those sort of early leader, um, early in career leader programs that we run, uh, I think I'm more committed to those than ever before, because I think, that can have a massive impact on, on, on people's careers. So no, the nature of our job will ever be done. No. And then lastly, where do I go in need of leadership coaching? Nowhere formally, but let me caveat that with where I go to lots of places, most probably without necessarily them knowing it. So firstly, Sarah, as as you know, we, we, we've got a team of 15 world-class coaches. So often I will, you know, bounce ideas, get it from, from you and other members of the team now to, you and other members of the team, that might just feel like a chat, but actually it's not formal coaching per se, but I benefit massively from that. And also massively from seeing friends who either run their own businesses and, you know, relatively small businesses like Clarity or so, we, you know, where you have similar challenges or, or, or leaders that are experiencing different challenges, but get ideas and have conversations with people all the time. And I guess when all of those fail, <laughs> the other one where I've, I've genuinely asked some questions before is my spaniel. So going for a run with my spaniel, asking them questions, and they'll look at you and going, "Well, just you know, just go for it. Look, life's great." And they'll <laughs> run off and go and get the ball. So, you know, in pure coaching style, you know, the, the answers are always within you. Uh, you've only got to look at the spaniel and just they'll say, "Just go for it." Be more dog, be more spaniel. I like it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We're coming down to our last three guests or your last three guests and realise how many you've had over the last three years, Phil. I want to hand over to Philippa for this question. Hi, this is Philippa from the Trade Desk. Phil, I've got two questions for you. The first one is, if I was to ask your children, uh, what would they say is your most inspiring leadership quality? And the second one is, if you were born a woman, what woman would you most like to be? <laughs> these are these are good questions. Um, all right, I'm sure the children wouldn't say there's any endearing leadership quality first and foremost. But or if I'm to answer the question seriously, I, I would like to think that they would say both Lorraine and I give them the the freedom for them to be their best. You know, so all three of them are very different and have massive strengths, and those strengths are very different, and so. I would like to think that that we've enabled them to play to their strengths and given them the freedom to express themselves and do whatever they want to do with our support. But we've not, I don't think, necessarily sort of carved a path out for them to, to, to follow, but enabled them to do that for themselves. So if I was to apply our, our leadership model, it would be enable others to act. And if I, if I was born a woman, what woman? Well, this, this one I found really tough because there's some amazing women out there, none of which I, I could live up to. And I guess I'm a very happy and content person. And so I guess I'd most probably go to someone who was similar to me and someone who I took inspiration from uh, about, blimey, nearly 30 years ago is a lady called Rebecca Stevens. And Rebecca was the first British female to climb Everest. 
She's gone on to climb the seven um, peaks across the different continents. And she does a similar kind of work to, to you and I, Sarah. Climbing all those seven peaks, including Everest. Yeah, amazing work. Yeah. And being the first at something. Yeah. Our next question is from another good friend of mine, Sally Walker. <laughs> Hi, Phil. Sally Walker here. Hope you're well. Looking forward to hearing your podcast, having listened to all the others. My question for you is this. You've interviewed some extraordinary people. Looking back, what's the insight that most strikes you from a leadership perspective from all of those different interviews and questions that you've put to your podcast guests? We're getting down to the sharp end here, aren't we, Phil? Just after all those three years, what's the most um, important thing? Having interviewed those senior leaders, very few of them talk about leaders that have really shaped them in the last few years. They've all talked about leaders that would have shaped them early on in their career. Or the majority, not all, but the majority would have talked about that, you know, those those years when they were in their 20s and early 30s being shaped by leaders at that point. And often at leaders at that point might only be a few years older than themselves. And I think it's, you know, it's leaders that gave them the chance, you know, and the leadership that we receive in our formative years is vital to our, our future success. Our last question was from an extraordinary guest and we started and ended with rugby, haven't we here, Phil? Yeah. The man who is Matt Hanson. Hi, Phil. Matt Hanson here. A question very, very close to my heart. How do you get busy living? Oh, well, Hambo, as Sarah, as you say, what a remarkable man. And again, a brilliant evening that we had with him. So inspirational. I know people were in tears that evening when he was, he was presenting uh, to us. And his, his foundation, which is why I guess he's asked the question, how to get busy living. And so how do I get busy living? This is most probably the easiest question, I think, for me. Uh, as I mentioned earlier on, I want to, you know, I like to fill my life with experiences. And, and so I want to ensure that I've got time to do those experiences. And I, and I tried a four-day week. Uh, and I know that's being trialed in, in some parts of the country and workplace. Do you know what? But it didn't work for me because almost like a day, <laughs> I mean this in a night, a day wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to go and do some stuff. So rather than doing a four-day week, what I've tried to do instead, what I'm, I'm successfully doing now, I think, is I look to have one week off a month. And in that week, go and do something and fill my life with something ex- that excites me. Um, so that could be a skiing holiday or a skiing adventure. It could be a cycling adventure. It could be going to climb the Matterhorn or going to swim around the Silly Isles. But I want each month, I want to go and do something. Some of them are going to be challenges. Some aren't. I'm absolutely convinced that I want to get busy living and I'm doing it. I feel confident about that answer. Most probably the only answer I felt confident in the whole podcast. And um, so you sounded confident. So the last 90 minutes, I think you've absolutely role modelled how, you, how you are getting busy living and, and making those choices. Thank you. It's been a real privilege um, to spend this time interviewing you. I'm glad, very, very glad you asked me. Well, Sarah, thank you. I'm I'm absolutely exhausted <laughs> after that. So um, thank you to all the guests who have asked and put in some questions. This is the end of Series 3, and I hope you have enjoyed listening to our Leadership Confessions podcast with me, Phil Rose. Thank you. Leadership Confessions from Clarity Leadership. Email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released.